Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Thank you for joining us. I'm Josh Davis filling in for Pastor Brad Davis. It's my joy and my privilege to get to be with you. Aside from serving as co-pastor at Antioch Baptist Church, I also have the privilege of serving as staff evangelist with Southwest Radio Ministries. And I was privileged to be able to write a book with Southwest Radio Ministries. The title of the book is Fake Jesus. I want to share a teaching based out of the book. And really, Fake Jesus, it's an intriguing title. It simply is the idea that many people have misconceptions of who the real Jesus is. They twist, they've distorted, they've misunderstood who he is. And so I talk about the fact, is Jesus God? And if he is God, what kind of God is he? So the first half walks through how we know that Jesus is God. And then the second half deals with these common misconceptions, one of which I want to share some teaching based on the book and the chapter on the guilt trip, Fake Jesus. I'll describe what that is in just a second. I invite you to connect with us on our church website. That's AntiochBristol.com. There you'll find links to this podcast and radio broadcast archive that you can listen again. You can share it with somebody else. Also, our Sunday service videos are archived there as well. All that can be found once again. It's AntiochBristol.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy of the book, you can do so at SWRC.com. You can reach out to us here at Antioch, and we can also get you in touch with that. Be glad to help you out along those ways. So let's jump into this teaching. Who is the guilt trip fake Jesus? Really, This fake Jesus is rooted in fear, and those that fall prey to this false version of Jesus view him as judgmentally watching over them, anticipating that they're going to step out of bounds so that he can bring in swift punishment. They're consumed with guilt. They assume that God is constantly disappointed in them. Their view of God is that of an angry, domineering, authoritarian dictator whom they must constantly please or else they're going to get it. And as you can imagine, there is little emphasis on a love-based relationship with God under the guilt trip fake Jesus. Instead, it's a performance-based system of good works that temporarily stays God's anger and judgmentalism, and it temporarily absolves their guilt. Uh, This kind of lifestyle is focused primarily on the completion of spiritual tasks and good works. Often, there's a domineering spiritual leader who will act as the rule giver and enforcer in chief. And the people that are living under this leader find themselves constantly trying to please other people. They're afraid of rejection from their spiritual community. And ultimately, they're afraid of rejection from God himself if they do not follow these man-made rules completely. Individuals uh, are craving validation under this system. They're often insecure and have very low self-esteem because they feel like they can never measure up to some 
superior standard. They think that they'll never be good enough for God or anyone else. So to aid in their understanding of this guilt trip, fake Jesus, consider an example. Uh, Christians believe that God gave us his word to help us to know him better and walk closer with him. And we know that we draw our spiritual food, if you will, for growth into spiritual maturity from it. Like it says in 1 Peter 2, 2, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So let's suppose that a spiritual leader, whether it be a pastor, a parent, a teacher, creates or promotes a system for everybody to read the Bible together. Hey, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a Bible reading schedule if it's done with the right motivation behind it. But when people begin to just merely check the Bible reading box for the day to please their spiritual leaders, they miss the Word of God, and ultimately they miss the God of the Word. They're completing a religious task, and they think that they're being a quote-unquote good Christian in so doing. But what happens when life gets hectic and they fall behind in their reading? Oh, here comes the guilt trip. They've got to catch up on their reading plan. Otherwise, their spiritual leader is going to be upset with them, and their God is going to be upset with them until they catch up with their spiritual chores, to think of it like that. They can't receive any blessings from God until they're back on track with their Bible reading plan. They feel like they're a disappointment to their leader and to God. So the only sense of peace in their spiritual lives comes when they are caught up on their spiritual chore checklist. So as you can imagine, there's very little joy when you're living under such a stringent system. Instead, it's worry and fear and doubt that rule in the hearts and the minds of those under this guilt trip, fake Jesus. I focused on Bible study for my example, but the spiritual checklist in this kind of system really encompasses all the spiritual life. Bible study, prayer, witnessing, church attendance, visitation, keeping up the church property, and on and on and on we could go. So you can imagine as the chore checklist Uh, ratchets up and piles up it's easy to fall behind and what does that create fear guilt anxiety stress doubting some even doubt their very standing before god they begin to think how could someone be right with god and fall so far behind in their spiritual lives they begin to even question their very salvation their relationship with god it's all built on performance. This kind of system that I've described to you can be summarized in one word, legalism. Man-made tradition becomes the basis for our relationship with and our standing before God. So to go back to our example, does the Bible give us a reading plan that we must follow every single day? No, it does not. To create a reading plan is not legalistic. Don't misunderstand me. It can be very helpful. It can be spiritually beneficial. But when we believe that we are right with God merely by completing a man-made schedule, 
That's the textbook definition of legalism. Conversely, to believe that God is angry with us when we fall behind in our man-made Bible reading plan is to fall prey to legalism. And peer pressure really kicks in as we try to keep our head above the overwhelming spiritual currents. And the focus becomes have to instead of want to. Christians should want to read the Bible, to know the heart of God better, and to draw closer to Him in love. Yet legalism insidiously and it subtly shifts the motivation to have to. I have to read my Bible. I have to go to church. No longer is it want to, but now it's have to. Those that are living under this fake Jesus just let their eyes skim the pages of the Bible, and they never absorb the life-changing truths of it. They're more concerned about completing their spiritual chores than they are in drawing closer to God and His authentic heart through His Word. Legalism decays and destroys as it shifts the focus off the authentic Jesus to following man-made rules. It can shipwreck the faith of individuals. It can destroy churches. It can destroy ministries. It can erode entire denominations and movements from the inside out, and it eventually becomes their complete downfall. If we fall and pray to this guilt-trip fake Jesus, how can we find our way out? What are some of the solutions? Before coming to faith in Jesus, the Apostle Paul lived this kind of man-centered, people-pleasing lifestyle, did he not? After his encounter with Jesus, he was absolutely transformed, never the same again. He proclaimed grace instead of guilt. When he saw the church in Galatia drifting into legalism, he wrote a passionate letter to show them their error and to show them the way out. So as we explore a little bit of the book of Galatians, we're going to see this fake Jesus exposed and the authentic Jesus revealed. Along the way, I want to share how God challenged my own heart in these areas. One of the first things we need to understand is that legalism perverts the good news of Jesus. And Paul typically opens his epistles with a word of thanksgiving for the people that he's writing to. But in Galatians, he senses the urgency of his message. So he jumps straight into warning them of the serious error that they have fallen into. And he says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So as we read on in the book of Galatians, we discover the error the Galatian Christians had fallen into, those living in the Galatian region were mostly Gentiles, and Paul preached the true gospel of Jesus Christ to them. They received the truth gladly, but soon after Paul left to carry the good news to other regions, some false teachers moved in, like they always do, proclaiming if the new Christians really wanted to be right with God, 
They needed to live according to the laws of the Old Testament. So these new Christian converts in Galatia desired to be right with God. So they bought into this false teaching. But what they did not realize is that they were exchanging grace for works. Paul is going to make this clear to them in Galatians chapter 1 and 2, but he first offers a stern warning for anyone who would pervert the gospel of Christ. He says in Galatians 1.8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, other than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Folks, it doesn't get much stronger than that, does it? What the devil cannot defeat, he tries to corrupt. So he couldn't conquer Christ on the cross, so he fixed his gaze on destroying the young church. And he had a mighty weapon in Saul of Tarsus, but he lost that battle too, praise God, when Jesus transformed him. And now Paul warns the Galatians that they're falling into the very same trap that he escaped from. In so doing, they're perverting the gospel. So we've got to understand this before we move on. Legalism is a gospel issue. The Christian legalist may agree that we are justified by faith through grace in Christ alone. But the rest of the Christian life, what about sanctification becoming holy? They switch it to being by works instead of by grace. And Paul is going to build on his argument against this in Galatians 1 and 2 with personal examples. And it reaches a climax in Galatians 3 and chapter 4 with doctrinal truths and teachings from the Old Testament scriptures as he, I believe, masterfully makes his point abundantly clear. So to summarize his argument in chapter 3 and 4 of Galatians, Paul points to Abraham as a case in point for a grace-based relationship with God instead of a works-based legalistic system. In Galatians 3.6, he says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see, God declared Abraham righteous before Abraham did any spiritual works for God, such as being circumcised. It cannot be said much clearer than this, Galatians 3.11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So once we are justified by faith, we are placed into the family of God. We're no longer servants. Now we are sons and daughters of God. And since we are sons and daughters of God, we're given a relationship with him by birth, not by our merit. A servant must prove his worth by his hard work and his merit. But a son and a daughter? No, they don't have to prove their worth. Legalism turns children into slaves. It brings free people into bondage. It's an attempt to reverse the gospel of Jesus. Jesus died to set us free from the bondage of our sins. And when we pervert his gospel with legalism, 
we are insinuating that the death, the deity, and the resurrection of Jesus is not enough to save us from our sins. We have to put forth our own effort to deliver ourselves from sin. And what we do not realize by this perversion is that we're placing ourselves back under the yoke of bondage that Jesus set us free from. So in effect, we choose to be slaves instead of sons and daughters. To pervert the gospel is to create a fake Jesus. So what's the focus in this guilt trip fake Jesus? Is it on people or on God? This is one of the most insidious aspects of legalism. It subtly shifts our focus from God to people. And as we live under the pressure to perform our religious tasks, we look for confirmation in people instead of in God. As we continue down that path, we begin to compare ourselves with others. So instead of seeing other Christians as our brothers and our sisters that we can love and that we can encourage a spiritual family, we view them as fellow slaves that we've got to compete with to earn God's attention, to earn God's favor. And so we act like a pack of hungry dogs that are begging for a treat from our owners. We bite at each other to gain advantage. We bark louder than the others to get the owner's attention. We push others out of the way to jump on the owner's legs, thinking that he's going to love us if we can just get close to him. God's love cannot be earned, and certainly not in that manner. It was near the beginning of 2020 that God brought Galatians 1.10 to light in my life. As I meditated on that verse and I really dug deep into it, God began to dig deep into my heart through it. And I paraphrased this verse after it really found its lodging place in my soul like this. For am I now seeking the approval of people or God? Am I seeking to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be the servant of Christ. That's my paraphrase of Galatians 1.10. We've got to fight the great temptation to seek approval and affirmation from other people instead of from God. The fact is, we're already accepted by a God who loves you with an everlasting love. Look at Romans 8, verses 31 to 39, if you're questioning that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God's gracious gift to us. And when we seek the approval of people over God, we're not walking in the full freedom of the gospel. Hey, I have been there. That's why I felt so challenged and convicted as I pondered Galatians 1.10. In my desire for validation, I sought out these pats on the back, if you will, from people as I completed innumerable good works for them. How did I know that my sense of self-worth was tied to people instead of to God? Well, I discovered that when I would do a good work for someone and they didn't notice, I found myself upset. I was frustrated. I was burnt out. I was pushing myself to my breaking point. It seemed like nobody cared. But however, the reality is I was serving people instead of serving Jesus. So when God brought my insecurity to the surface, I asked him to forgive me 
for desiring the praise of people more than the glory of God. The day that I discovered my self-worth is not tied to other people, but it's rooted in who God says I am. Boy, that was a beautiful day in my life. I was set free from running that hamster wheel in pursuit of people's approval. An amazing byproduct of refocusing my life on the authentic Jesus was the ability to say no to people without feeling guilty. Now, I'm not advocating being rude towards others, nor am I suggesting that we ought to stop serving people altogether to put ourselves first. No, no, no. Sometimes when we come out of one misunderstanding, we swing the pendulum to the opposite extreme and we find ourselves in another error. I still serve Jesus daily, but my first allegiance is to Jesus. I cannot and will not sacrifice that to please people's requests. If I want to say yes to God's best plan for my life, there will be times that I have to say no to other people. These two things are not always in opposition to each other, but if they ever are, I want to choose to follow God instead of people. I want to choose to follow the authentic Jesus instead of that guilt trip, fake Jesus. What's the guide in the guilt trip, fake Jesus? Is it man's rules or God's grace? And Paul understood legalism from the inside out since he grew up in that system. He leaned on his past as he discussed one of the key issues with legalism in Galatians chapter 1. In his religious zeal, he describes, quote, "...beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation." being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Man-centered. In this verse, he touches on much of what I have already emphasized. He found personal gain. He found promotion as he competed against others in his religion. He was more zealous than the rest. But notice He was not zealous after the heart of God. He said, and he recognized that his religious zeal was to promote the man-made traditions of his forefathers. Some may respond, well, Paul just traded in one man-made religion for another. He went from listening to his forefathers to listening to Jesus' followers. But he soundly rejects that as he reveals that he saw these truths as he spent a lot of time alone with God, reflecting on the scriptures when he was a new convert to Christ Jesus. He does his best to show the Galatians that he did not make this change to gain a following or to please people. He wanted his life to be marked by the search for the truth that came straight from God, who is the source of all truth. Key among his points in Galatians chapter 1 is the difference between man-made religious rules and God's grace. Legalistic religion claims to passionately follow God, but when push comes to shove, they land on the side of their man-made rules and traditions apart from God's truth. That's a very weighty claim. 
but it's one that's shown in Scripture to be true. Jesus had many run-ins with the pharisaical legalist of his day. In a previous section, I have a teaching where I show how Jesus intentionally healed people on the Sabbath day to force others to decide, is he the Messiah God he claimed to be, or is he a sinner by violating the Sabbath? Instead of following the evidence right in front of them, they rejected God's grace in favor of their man-made religious traditions. See, religious rules are often made to assist people in living holy lives as they avoid sin and live righteously. The problem creeps in when making and following and ensuring others keep the rules is our guide to godliness. Consider, for example, what we talked about earlier with Bible reading. A local church decides that they want to create a Bible reading schedule for all the members. Again, I say there's absolutely nothing inherently wrong or inherently legalistic with that. It could be a very beneficial system, assuming they want everyone to grow in God's Word together. That's a very admirable goal. It can lead to lots of great conversations, teaching opportunities, and spiritual growth. But if the focus becomes less about growing in God and more about making sure everybody is completing the checklist, then the church has turned the means into the end and has exchanged God's grace for man-made rules. And so as this church slides into legalism, uh, the conversations would center around statements like, Have you completed your reading for this week? Instead of, what have you learned about God from His Word this week? No longer promoting spiritual growth in Jesus, the church wants to honor those who are merely checking the most boxes. That's a very subtle, but also a very serious error for Christians to fall into. We have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our churches against slipping into worshiping this guilt trip, fake Jesus, by promoting man-centered traditions over God's grace. What's the outcome of this kind of system? Is it liberty or is it bondage? Legalism brings guilt from the heavy burden of bondage it places on people. If we feel like we can never measure up, we bend under the weight of guilt. Unfortunately, Many souls have been crushed under the weight of this legalistic religious bondage. What's the motivation behind the guilt trip fake Jesus? Is it motivated by fear or is it motivated by truth? I believe that legalism is so deceptively powerful that even strong Christians can be led astray. And it's certainly not an understatement to say the issue that Paul faced threatened the very existence and the future of the New Testament church. Even Peter fell back under the fear of man in Galatians chapter 2. We see that Paul says that he had to stand up in Peter's face because he was to be blamed. What was the motive for Peter's decision? Did he think about it through the lens of the gospel? No. He gave in to his old habit of pleasing people, and he allowed the fear of man to ensnare him back into bondage. Friends, fear is a powerful motivator. 
It can cause people to fight for their very existence. But fear is the wrong motivator in God's kingdom. The good news of Jesus is based in love, not in fear. Scripture clearly tells us there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. The process of legalism is all by works and not by faith. Jesus had so much to say about legalism, and our time is running short, but he basically likened it to a cemetery. Outside it's peaceful, it's serene, but inside it's filled with death and decay and corruption. Legalism is that exact same way. On the outside, you look like you have it all put together. You dress and you walk and you talk and you act like a true follower of Jesus. But inside, it's filled with death and decay and corruption. In the words of Jesus, he says, Even so you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And the guilt trip fake Jesus is really a cruel taskmaster rooted in legalistic religion. But Jesus did not pronounce woes upon legalists. He offered hope for deliverance from its clutches. There is a way to freedom in Christ. There is a path to peace beyond your striving and struggling. Jesus offers his authentic self to you. Jesus invites you today Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the call of Jesus to you. Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at AntiochBristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us, and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.